Hey, all you Trek Live crew members, this is Trek Live Dan. Just wanted to say thank you for dropping by the podcast feed. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is recorded live first on our YouTube channel, so definitely um, stop on by to join the discussion. Without further ado, enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill from Trek Live. Uh, Dan's away this week, but I figured I'd give this a shot uh, and try a solo uh, quick check-in episode. Um, so this is going to be episode 164. It's going to be quick. I'm going to just do a really quick uh, rewatch recap um, for myself. Uh, we weren't live last week. We pre-recorded. So I've watched a good bit over the last two weeks or so. Um, and you know, I used to share like more detailed reviews on Twitter. And I kind of stopped doing that um, because I talk about it here. And even with that format, though, it's really quick. I don't give grades or anything usually on these rewatch recaps on Trek Live. But today I'm going to do that. I'm going to show you uh, the spreadsheet that I use to track my episodes, like when I watch and how I watch. And I'm not going to I'm not going to reveal all the ranking stuff that I do in here quite yet. Um, but I thought I'd share with you. I'm going to give like a real quick. You know, no more than a minute, hopefully, hit on each of the episodes that you see on the screen right now. Uh, these are the episodes that I've watched since the last time I did a rewatch recap on Twitter uh, or on Trek Live. Um, and I'm going to give a real quick review. I'm going to grade it and put it in the in the uh, spreadsheet. And then we're going to get out of here, hopefully, in no more than 25 minutes at the most, I hope. Um, so I'll just get right here rolling. Uh, as you can see... I watch, if you follow me on Twitter or you've followed along with Trek Live at all, I tend to alternate series. I watch them in true air date order. And, you know, Deep Space Nine overlapped with The Next Generation uh, in the early days and then with Voyager later on. So that's how I watch. I don't necessarily just usually binge right through a show independently. I'll, I'll go back and forth and watch them as they were airing. Back in the day, in 1995, you'd get two episodes a week. You'd get a Voyager and you'd get a Deep Space Nine fairly often for a big chunk of those 90s years. Uh, so that's how I watch. And as you can see here, I'm starting with uh, Improbable Cause, uh, which I love. Uh, it's another entry into the, the sort of film noir uh, take that Deep Space Nine uh, it often has. Uh, it's a mystery with Odo trying to unravel an assassination attempt on Garrick. I love that. Uh, I love the way Avery Brooks, who directed it, shot many of the the big set piece scenes. There's a big moment where Odo's on a on like an asteroid talking to a Cardassian, and he's up in the you know up in an upper level, and they're not looking at each other. It's very very film noiry, very throwback to something that you'd see like Humphrey Bogart doing in a movie in the 1940s, and I love that stuff. I love his interrogation of the alien who has the, the, the colognes and the perfumes. Uh, there's great moments in it. It's a great episode for Rene Auberjonois, uh, and it sets the stage for what's coming in the next episode of The Dice Cast, which is really like a universe-shattering, uh, you know, moving everything forward uh, for the for the Star Trek universe, really. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give Improbable Cause an A. It's one of my favorites from the early um, Deep Space Nine years, like first three seasons, and some of Odo's best stuff, great Garrick stuff as well. Uh, Cathexis from Voyager, uh, I think, is a bit of a misfire. It's sort of a gothic thriller, ghost story, um, you know, aliens in a nebula with, you know, disembodied Chakotay, uh, you know, trying to keep the ship out. Um, not a huge fan of it. I think it's a little bit of a... a uh, I, th I think the, the spookiness kind of wears off pretty quickly and gets a little silly with the uh, the, the, the uh, 
the healing medicine bundle thing hanging in sickbay or Chicote. I, I, that, a lot of that stuff usually falls pretty flat for me, and it did again this time. So not a fan. I'm going to give it a D. But I learned on Twitter that some people really like that episode. So, you know, like all of these things, your mileage may vary. You know, some of these episodes are hotter for some than others. Uh, the die's cast uh, to extend off of improbable cause. I think I think the big selling point here is the ability to do big things and small things. You know, you got the the, the Cardassian and Romulan huge uh, moving the universe forward. Deep Space Nine really embracing the fact that it has full reign of the Alpha Quadrant and all the big stuff that we're usually living in in the Star Trek universe. No, no TNG anymore. Voyager's far away. So they get to really move the ball forward in the way that they want to. And, you know, the, the, they embrace that in the dice cast and really start to you know, leave a big footprint in the in the Star Trek universe, and then on the smaller, more granular granular level, you have the great scene that I think is pretty iconic at this point between Odo and Garrick. That interrogation scene where we really get to explore the similarities of these two guys—that they're both, you know, exiles and long to go home, and they don't mean Deep Space Nine when they talk about home if they're being really honest uh, with themselves. Uh, I think that's a great moment, some of the best acting that you'll find in any Star Trek anywhere. And uh, I love how different Improbable Cause and the Dice cast are. Improbable Cause, I talked about being like a film noir, mystery, you know, slow burn, uh, following Odo around as he works through the problem. And the Dice cast is a very different hour, uh, much di- much different tonally, um, with you know, huge space battles with the Romulans and the Cardassians and the Dominion and the Defiant coming in to save the day. Um, very different episodes, but equally excellent. So I'm going to go ahead and give the dice cast an A. So we got a strong run of Deep Space Nine episodes there. Faces, I think, is strong. Uh, I think Roxanne Dawson's, on average, really good. I think she can go a little over the top with her Klingon half. I think she's excellent as her human self. Um, and I, I, quite the opposite of the, the Kazon, I'm really intrigued by the Medeans, and I like what Voyager does with them early on. Um, some really shocking kind of body horror stuff with Lieutenant Durst's face being grafted onto this Vidian guy, uh, this Vidian doctor working on Torres, and it's the same actor. The way the innovative casting, I think, really works there. Um, you know, d- definitely dark and grim and rough stuff in that hour, but I think it's a, a nice exploration of Bellana and we give it a B. I think it's a, I think it's a rock solid episode. Not perfect, um, but really good. Um, Explorers, I love the exploration of Cisco as a father. I think that's such a foundational element of Deep Space Nine and the Cisco character, and I love when the show goes there and really commits to it. Um, you know, and the the you know Jake isn't gonna follow in his father's footsteps and the sort of you know exploration of that dynamic uh, I really enjoy I love the the Bajoran solar sailor and the exploration of Bajoran history and the way that the Cardassians view that um, I, I like the subplot that the B story with Bashir and his classmate uh, the valedictorian coming to the station his sort of reaction to that and her reaction to him and the unexpected way that that goes I think that's all really strong stuff too so I'm going to go ahead and give Explorers a B plus because a very strong outing um, I know Dan loves that episode um Jatrell is um, very, very heavy, 
heavy, heavy stuff. It's obviously like a Holocaust uh, sort of allegory. Look at genocide. It's a deep dive into you know Neelix's psyche and uh, the, the fallout of a major conflict with the Talaxians and you know Dr. Jutrell's people. Um, there's some you know subterfuge going on with what Jutrell's really trying to do and not being totally honest. And you know I think that character is certainly very complicated. James Sloyan, who's a Star Trek veteran, you know from the Defector and plays Dr. Mar, uh, Odo's you know quote unquote father. Um, I think that he's really, really strong here. Um, I like Jatrell a lot, but I can certainly see the Delta Flyers podcast with Garrett Wong and Robert Duncan McNeil really surprised me earlier, like last year, when they reviewed this episode and found it to be overly heavy. And uh, I, I think this usually is a pretty well-respected episode, early episode of Voyager, pretty usually cited as one of the stronger like season one episodes. And I, I've always agreed with that. But I, I remember listening to their review and kind of having to look back and, you know, think about it through a different lens, and I can see where they were coming from, that it's, like, maybe a little overly heavy and um, one note, and, you know, I... I still think it's very strong, and I, I'm going to give it a B plus. I really enjoy it. I think Ethan Phillips is really great. I think James Sloyan's really great. And I, I think I think the heft is pretty well handled, but I can I can see how, again, your mileage may vary, like all these episodes with, with Chitrell. Uh, family Business is a Ferengi sort of family comedy um, with uh, Moogie, you know, Quark and Rob's mother earning profit and putting Quark into some hot water, having to go home and sort of work through it and see what's going on and uh, deal with the family drama of that. Um, and, you know, like many of the Ferengi episodes, they a lot of the humor kind of leaves me cold. I, I think a lot of the Ferengi dynamics haven't aged particularly well. Uh, certainly very misogynistic, um, which, you know, I think has become more difficult to swallow as the years have gone on. Even uh, back then, when I was a kid watching them, they were never my favorite episodes. I think Armin Shimmerman's great. I think he brings his A-game. I think all these actors are really good. I just wish there was a little bit more nuance to the, the, the Frankie dynamic. I find it to be a little one-dimensional and a little one-note myself. Um, I do like the Cassidy Yates intro and uh, the, the extension from Explorers. That kind of starts with Explorers. Um, Jake kind of pushing the issue of maybe it's time to meet somebody and uh, kind of move move forward for Ben Cisco. Uh, so I, I enjoy that part of it, but I think on balance it's it's kind of a misfire because of how you know driven by the Frankie stuff the episode is and how that mostly doesn't kind of work for me. So I'm going to give it a D plus, uh, which I imagine is probably, probably a little lower than, than some others would, would go. Um, learning curve. I, another one that kind of surprises me whenever I talk about it on Twitter, when I hit it in rewatches, a lot of people really like this episode and I can see why it actually does explore the Maquis stuff. And, uh, you know, Voyager gets a lot of bruising from how quickly it kind of moves on from this is a mixed crew and how cohesive they are pretty early on. And this isn't certainly a look at not everybody eases into this new dynamic uh, so easily. You know, we get we get a, a hodgepodge of characters here that are really rubbing up against the Starfleet protocol and fitting in and Tuvok, who is very rigid himself and, you know, have, has, has his own issues with being able to adapt to change and unpredictable situations having to work with these guys these, these four crewmen I think I think Shell is a really good character um, I think he's he's clearly the winner of the bunch I wish the other three were a little bit more dynamic a little bit more interesting and that's where the episode kind of falls a little bit flat for me I find that the, the batch of crewmen are a little one note for me I wish there was a little bit more to them uh, granted you can only accomplish so much in 40 minutes and it's really I think 
rightfully so, more an exploration of Tuvok and his own inflexibility than these four guest stars. But I think I think the episode would have been well served to, you know, find a way to give a little bit more meat to chew on for, for that batch of crewmen. So that's the season finale of season one, uh, as aired at least. I'm, I'm gonna, have, gonna go ahead and give it a C as a sort of right down the middle, you know, perfectly average, you know, inoffensive but not necessarily memorable episode. Uh, three in a row of Deep Space Nine to end season three here with Shakar, which is the introduction of Shakar, who's kind of evolves into Kira's sort of next love interest for the next little bit. But uh, more importantly, I really love the... You know, as a kid, I was never a huge fan, unsurprisingly, as like a young teen and kid. I, the Bajoran politics and all uh, of, of some of these episodes didn't always excite me the way some of these other Deep Space Nine storylines would. But as I've grown older, I've grown to really like that. Uh, the, you know, the vacancy and the, the civilian government coming open and Kai Wen kind of trying to grab power and the uh, the challenges that that brings forward and the, 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 the I think that's well explored and I, I think uh, Louise Fletcher is really strong here kind of underrated outing for her um, and I, I like the way that that conflict resolves itself uh, at, at that sort of crossroads with you know Bajoran militants up uh, military guys up on the hill ready to blow away or um the rebels up on the hill ready to attack the security officers who were there looking for Shakar to arrest him and finding another way and not, you know, spiraling down into another conflict it is is well played and, and nice and I, I really enjoy it. I think Shakar's a another rock solid episode, not a classic necessarily and not a not an all timer, but a really, you know, workmanlike, you know well-executed episode of Star Trek. Facets is another one that, again, the, the reaction on Twitter and some of the positive feedback I saw really surprises me. I think it's good. I think, I mean, I think it's, I think it's fine, I should say. I think it's fine. I like the exploration of Trill, the, the Trill lineage and Dax's previous hosts. Um, you know, the first half of the episode, or maybe the first couple acts, where, you know, you get a kid, the montage of the different actors getting to play different characters, different facets of Dax's own personality. I think that's really clever and well done. Gives the actors some interesting things to do. I think the, the Curzon uh, element um, lays it on a little thick, and I don't always buy, uh, you know, the way that that plays out. And the sort of implied that the sort of implication that Odo is as willing to stick with this new dynamic of Curzon-Odo mix as, you know, Curzon is clearly wanting to pursue. Um, you know, I certainly appreciate the way that it puts Dax on her heels and makes her self-reflect and look at her own um, role in this lineage of hosts. Uh, but I, I, I think the episode runs out of gas a little bit as it really dives into the, uh, the Curzon dynamic. I don't know that it aligns with, and this might be a me thing, a totally subjective me thing. I don't know that it aligns with the way that I see Curzon as portrayed in scenes where Dax and Cisco were talking about Curzon. Uh, I think I think it's... I don't find him as likable as the, the memories that they talk about would lead me to think he would be. I guess that's the way I would put that. So I'm going to give it a C. I think it's a strong C. It's close to a C+. Plus. It's stronger than Learning Curve, but it's, it's in that middle mixed bag kind of territory for me. Um... The Adversary, to finish up Season 3, is an action-heavy, you know, really tense, uh, you know, 
thriller on the Defiant. I think it makes great use of the Defiant sets, uh, you know, making them feel claustrophobic, and that ship feels small and compact, and and you know nowhere to turn. The heat is turned up literally. You know, people are sweating and overheating, and uh, I think all that stuff is really well executed. It's tense. The the, the tension level is well executed and feels real. Uh, the stakes feel high. Uh, the Zinkithi is kind of an oddball intro into the Star Trek. You know, lexicon lineage, I guess, the canon uh, as this you know species that we haven't really heard much about, but you know, many Starfleet officers have, I guess, participated in you know a war or some conflicts with these people. Uh, we never really hear from them again. We never really see them. So that's kind of an odd thing. Uh, but you know, that's kind of neither here nor there. I, I really enjoy the adversary. I think it's a it's it's a it's a key part of the Deep Space Nine story as a whole. Uh, moves moves it forward. Odo has to make a choice at the end that clearly has some major reverberations throughout the rest of the show and his relationship with his own people. Um, and, it, and it nicely sets up, uh, I think, what's coming in early season four, even with the way that the changelings and the, the founders and the, the Dominion as a whole sort of tackle these problems and how they try to neutralize perceived threats. Uh, so on the on the grounds of the, the action-adventure element and the, the tension and the, the use of the, 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 the defiant really giving us a, a really nice look at that ship and making it feel like a really lived-in place and kind of scary and claustrophobic, I'm going to give it a B plus. I think it's a, I think it's a rock-solid, very, very good season finale. Uh, getting into this next season, season two of Voyager, season four of Deep Space Nine, big run of Voyager episodes here, kind of getting started before Deep Space Nine got rolling that year. Uh, the 37s uh, is a little silly for me. Uh, I know some people, again, I, I was, again, surprised, as I always am, when I when I post that I'm watching an episode, there's always people who chime in and say, I really like that one, even when you know I may not agree or the, the, the perceived consensus might not be... Um, that way, uh, the 37s again. I find a little, little goofy, a little silly. Um, you know, a little, a little too much to buy as far as the coincidence goes that they stumble into uh, these humans who are transplanted uh, all the way out in the Delta Quadrant. Uh, I just find it a little much. Um, but I certainly do appreciate this was filmed as the season finale for season one, as opposed to the season two premiere. And I guess I'm both. Either way, it kind of works. I like the crew being put in a position to be at a crossroads and have to choose to go, to continue on with this journey home or to settle um, on, a, on a nice planet in the Delta Quadrant with other humans. Like, it, it's, a, it's a forced... Uh, it's, it's a point where they're forced to commit to this journey home. And, uh, of course, none of them choose to stay in these sort of unseen cities that they that they talk about where humans are living and, you know, experiencing a really advanced and, you know, well-run society. Um, so I, I appreciate what, what the episode's trying to do and what, what it puts the crew in a position to choose, but I think the, the mechanics of Amelia Earhart and the 37s and all that stuff is kind of a little flat for me. So I'm going to give it a C. Uh as, again, sort of a mixed bag. You know, there's some things in it that I really like. Of course, landing the ship is a cool set piece that you know feels like a big deal, really gives Voyager its own kind of traits and personality. Uh, that feels like a big moment. Uh, there are certainly some nice character beats throughout with a lot of these different uh, actors getting some cool things to do. Um, but it doesn't entirely work for me. Initiations, I think, is a... 
I'm, I'm probably higher on it than the average person. I like Robert Beltran in it a lot. I think Chakotay, um, I, I like the juxtaposition of Chakotay having to explore his own sort of traditions and his own uh, initiation rituals, things that have made him a man, the man that he is uh, with Carr, I believe his name is Aaron Eisenberg, who is, I think, pretty good in this episode uh, as, as the young Kazan boy having to go through his own initiation process and uh, his own rituals to you know earn his way as a, as, as a man. Um, you know, I, I like the yin and yang of their dynamic, and uh, I think it does give the Kazan some more interesting nuance than we've had up to this point. I still think they're problematic. I think they're, uh, you know, they're, they're they don't quite earn the the balance between the, the the sort of primitiveness of them and the sort of savage and uh, you know. they're more advanced than they should be I think uh, given what what they are Um, but I think the the constantly changing dynamics of the sects and uh, the the number of them changes every day and maps are useless to them because they're so volatile I like all that stuff I think there's some some neat things introduced that could have had the Kazan been a longer running thing in Voyager uh, this could have spawned some interesting things to explore Um, and we get some things later on in season 2 that I think capitalize on some of these ideas Episodes like alliances and basics later on, so I'm going to give it a B minus. You know, I I don't think it's you know anything incredibly spectacular. I I still have issues with Kazan, like I said, Um, but I I do enjoy it on balance. I think it's well shot too. I think there's some really uh, neat uh, cinematography choices on the Kazan ship. The way that the the, the, those sets are shot when Chakotay and uh, Carr are. You know, being held captive on the, the main Kazan ship. Really interesting visual stuff going on there. Projections is a great sort of mind F uh, mystery box kind of story. Uh, classic holodeck kind of uh, how do we get out of here? What the heck is going on? Mystery uh, really takes uh, makes excellent use of the doctor and putting him in you know, a, a situation that only he could be in. I love the, it, has he been real this whole time and the crew been the simulation? Uh, you know, I, I think it's obvious, you know, that the show's not going to reboot to that extent. You know, that's, that would be a bold move. But uh, I, I like how convincingly they put forth that possibility and, and really put the audience on its toes. And uh, I think for a, a story to be that kind of complicated and for it to be as twisty and turny as it is for me I'm always like kind of surprised at how concise and how easily understandable and straightforward it kind of is uh, so it, I think it's a, a really tremendous achievement for Brown and Braga I think it's well written I think Frakes directs it really really well as well uh, keeps it moving uh, given how again twisty turny and complicated it can be uh, and it's, it's a highlight for me it's one of Voyager's best early episodes I'm going to give it a B plus uh, Elogium is uh, you know uh, one of the bigger misfires in this batch of episodes for me I think you know the Kess and Neelix dynamic is not one of my favorite things in Star Trek's history uh, I, I, I've never totally bought that I, I have issues with that dynamic um, but I do like the exploration of the Ocampa and Kess's background and that it actually takes the time to look at you know, this is a person that's only going to live nine years, so their experience, their their life 
uh, you know, ebbs and flows and things are going to do are really condensed. And so this feels like it's pushing Cass's character forward a little bit and putting her in a position to look at her, look at her life and make decisions that are big and profound. And when you live nine years, those things are going to come pretty quick. And it's certainly brought on faster by the, the B plot, you know, the, uh, sci-fi plot of the of the day in this episode but it does put her character in a position to have to explore her own uh, situation and her character uh, and there are some nicely played scenes with Ethan Phillips and Jennifer Lee no no disrespect to their performances and the work that both of those actors put in uh, I, I just struggle with the dynamic that's not 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 one of my favorite character relationships to explore um, with, with those two so it struggles to get off the ground for me uh, and get into like really successful territory. I'm going to give it a D plus, uh, but you know, I, I think it really is going to ride higher low depending on how you how you vibe with those two characters' uh, interpersonal relationship. Uh, non sequitur is a sort of Harry Kim romp, uh, temporal displacement, time travel-y, timey-wimey kind of story uh, with Harry Kim waking up back home and being, you know, obviously totally confused about what the heck is going on. He has to unpack this mystery, and it's a, it's a really, I think, at times, uh, overly convenient, kind of wacky, a uh, little bit much sci-fi premise. Um, I think Garrett Wong is strong in it. He gets a lot of fun things to do. Uh, you know, he gets to you know stretch more than he certainly has up to this point. You know, he's, he's out from behind his ops console and you know getting to getting to do things, and that's cool to see. And it's and there's some nice exploration into his relationship with Paris and the way that those two characters connect, uh, even in a different timeline or in a different set of circumstances that they can still. Uh, make that connection and, and work together and, and, and establish a friendship. Uh, I, I like that stuff. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's somewhere in the middle for me. I, I, I always find myself kind of with it. I'm never bored by it. Uh, but I can't say that I love it. It's not a favorite of mine. So I'm going to give it a C plus as a, you know, maybe just above average, but uh, thumb kind of edging right on that line of thumbs up, thumbs down territory for me. Twisted is one of my least favorite episodes in all of Star Trek. Uh, I think the, the concept is, is is ridiculous and way too much to, 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 to buy for myself. Um, and I find the, the jealousy stuff really perking up and uh, the, some of the dialogue that Neelix has with Chakotay about jealousy and things like that, I think being really on the nose and a little too much, like season one TNG almost-ish with uh, laying it on a little thick with the you know, exploring humanity with very little nuance and subtlety. Uh, and I do like the last couple of minutes of it, the, the crew kind of connecting at that last moment and kind of trusting the process and hoping that they're <laughs> two box right, that this is the way to go uh, with the, the very real possibility that they're, they're living their last moments and they all kind of have their little connections with each other. Uh, that, that's, that sells the melding into a family stuff that I think all these Star Trek shows lean into. Uh, and that saves it from totally bottom of the barrel. I'm going to give it a D minus because I really don't enjoy it and it's not anywhere near successful in my mind, but there are little teeny moments in those last five minutes that uh, keep it from keep it from the old F. Uh, Deep Space Nine finally gets rolling here with The Way of the Warrior. I think it's fantastic. Uh, you know, for all the obvious reasons, it kind of reboots the show a little bit with, you know, resetting the dynamic, introduces Worf into the fold. 
changes the whole dynamic with the Klingons and in, in pretty, you know, obvious and predictable ways, I think, you know, the Dominion are behind it and sort of orchestrating the tension. Uh, but I love the way that that shakes up the whole dynamic and it takes us back to like the way of the Klingons of, of old and TOS when they were the real threat and imposing, uh, you know, adversaries and kind of resetting that dynamic. I love that stuff. Um, I think Galron's really strong in it. Uh, and, you know, I think it's amazing how well Worf, uh, just slides right into the dynamic and hits the ground running as a successful member of this cast. Uh, I think he brings it right off the bat and fits right in. And I, I just, I love everything that this episode does for the series of Deep Space Nine. It's really upping the ante. It feels like this is when Deep Space Nine, like, hits the ground running to the point where it's completely confident in its own self and TNG is a year in the past the Voyager's way out in the Delta Quadrant and they can do anything they want in the Alpha Quadrant and you know building a story that can really shake the dynamic and play with the entirety of the Star Trek universe in a way that I think they were kind of tied up and unable to do while TNG was running and was sort of the, the big kid on the playground uh, so Way of the Warriors in A I think it's a classic and is uh essential Deep Space Nine. Parturition I think is a mixed bag uh, which I feel like I keep saying mixed bag, especially some of these Voyager episodes. Uh, you know, I think finally resolving the Tom Paris and Neelix tension, the jealousy stuff is welcome news and I, I think it's better to confront it and to do something with it as opposed to having it just sort of tear Neelix's character down a bit in, in earlier episodes like Twisted, like Elogium, there's some of that stuff going on. I think fi- I'm always grateful that, okay, they're finally doing something here and, you know, forcing these characters to connect and deal with their their, their feelings and, you know, what, what's been going on. Um, and uh, I think those two actors do a nice job. There's some, there's some neat special effects work that I think, you know, has actually aged better than I always kind of expected to with the the, the, the puppet uh, baby alien that the, the new, uh, Neelix and Tom Paris are working on and saving. Uh, I, I'm always kind of impressed by that, and I think it's I think it's well directed and well executed. Uh, but you know, it's it's certainly very surface level and very simplistic, and you know, it doesn't cut very deep. It's it's a it's nothing you haven't seen before with you know two guys that start at a place of conflict and go through a struggle and come out on the other side of it you know at a place of understanding and being able to work together so it's not it's nothing dynamic or new or fresh I wouldn't say you know does anything overly exciting but it's it's certainly competent and does a does a decent job of kind of resetting those two characters dynamics Neelix and Tom Paris and by extension Kess so I'm going to give it a C as kind of right in the middle of the pack and the visitor you know what hasn't already been said, it's one of all, the all-timers. Uh, you know, we talked about it last week. We did a uh, pre-recorded Deep Space Nine, see it, skip it, for Dan's rewatch recap. Um, and, you know, everything that's been said about The Visitor is true. It's a, it's an all-timer. It, it, again, kind of like I was saying with Explorers, I love when Deep Space Nine goes there with the Ben Sisko, Jake Sisko dynamic. Um, the, the, it embraces the fact that we have a single father kind of leading the show and uh, a widower and that there's that specific relationship between father and son you know at the core of that character at the, at the top of the call sheet for the show and the visitor really I think 
takes full advantage of that story possibility being available to them. And, um, you know, the, the, the obvious, you know, drama that's inherently always there when you deal with, like, sudden loss, you know, somebody losing somebody unexpectedly, you know, earlier than they should. Uh, and, and, you know, what, what the idea of not completely losing that person would do to somebody. Like, the fact that Cisco does keep reappearing, Ben Cisco keeps reappearing to Jake, so that Jake knows that he's gone, but he's not really gone, and how far that drives Jake in his life um, to, to try to solve that is it's heartbreaking. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of the best of all time, certainly one of Deep Space Nine's all-time highlights, and uh, Avery Brooks has never been better. Tony Todd, if you, I think if you want to do a list of, like, your the best Star Trek guest performances like one-off guest shots I would say this is certainly going to factor high up on that list as the adult older Jake uh, Tony Todd Um, so that's an obvious A and it's one of the very very high up there on the uh, overall ranking of episodes for me for sure so we went ahead and did that in about 30 minutes and that's 20 minutes and 30 minutes 20 episodes and 30 minutes so I'll take that as a success um, Jimmy77's here and has commented a couple of times on some of these episodes that is Voyager's equivalent to DS9's duet yeah I mean if, if you want about when you, on a subject matter level for sure the, the exploration of you know genocide holocaust history being explored uh, certainly uh, I think duet's a better episode but uh, they certainly both uh, explore similar territory in unique ways. Uh, bad science aside, twisted is a guilty pleasure. Uh, I think a lot of people feel that way. I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably tougher on it than than many. Uh, way of the Warrior is a fantastic episode. It almost could have been a DS9 movie. It kind of is. Feels like one uh, with how big it is and how much it shakes up the dynamic and uh, isn't afraid to move the ball forward in a way that the Star Trek movies, especially the TNG movies, felt like they obviously could do in a way that the TV show couldn't. The way the Warrior kind of feels similar in that regard. So, totally agree. Um, so to wrap this up, uh, I think we're going to be off next week. One more week of kind of non-normal Trek Live. Uh, but the week after that, uh, I want to say that's May 1st uh, or May 2nd somewhere in that range uh, we should be back with the normal usual Dan and me talking Star Trek in some capacity so uh, we appreciate everybody hanging with us maybe checking out the last week's pre-recorded Deep Space Nine season 4 recap and if you watch this I certainly appreciate it let me know if you if you enjoyed this format as a sort of maybe supplemental check-in to talk about these episodes um, you know, I'm certainly not opposed to doing this a little bit more often as a supplemental sort of solo adventure um, thanks a lot everybody for watching live or watching the recording later on you can find this on YouTube uh, it'll be posted on our podcast feed as well we always plug our discord server we have a discord server where people can connect with like minded Star Trek fans it's not a huge environment not a huge community where there's a ton of people and you feel like you know if you're not watching it every second you kind of get out of the loop it's small intimate you know, positive, like-minded Star Trek fans. If you want to connect on that level, uh, feel free to send me a DM on Twitter at trekfan4387. I'll get you invited. You can you can kind of join the party on that. And uh, thank you again. Hope to see you soon. And take care and live long and prosper. Hey, this is Trek Live Dan again. Like I said before, the discussion does not have to stop here. Come over to our Twitter. Facebook, and our Discord channel to keep the Star Trek discussion alive. See you guys next time.